episode of sorry no podcast today where unfortunately we do not have a podcast recording because we are all auditioning for the live action reprisal of kung fu panda i don't know which roles we're all going for but we will all be there we will all be making it and we will all be starring alongside jack black if jack black wants to be on the show i know you're listening hit us up i am your host jp acosta we're going to do something different with this episode today we're going to call iso this is something we all love to do we get 30 seconds each to introduce ourselves, give a little 30 second take, you know, kind of test the waters a little bit. And we're going to start with Vikings Wire Zone and noted Viking, Tyler Fornis. Tyler, you got the ball. ISO ball, you're up. Well, I, I just want to point out that we're going to we're going to call ISO like you would Madden. We're going to call curl flat for Josh Dobbs until he ends up miraculously winning a football game. And I think we need to uh, have the conversation about Kevin O'Connell possibly being the next offensive genius in the league and not in the sense that he's this elite elite schemer like a Kyle Shanahan but he knows how to implement it and help his team better than just about anybody in the National Football League because you know, even though Josh Jobs is a rocket scientist getting him to play on that kind of level on 5 days notice is absolutely insane and with especially with all the injuries they had no Garrison no Jefferson and no Kirk Cousins just incredible stuff Time's up. You went a you went a little over, but we'll respect the Josh Dobbs. We'll respect the past or not. Next up, unfortunately, Kevin, you get thirty seconds. Okay, so uh, last week there was a report coming out from, uh, I believe it was someone about Michael Pratt transferring, uh, and I am very pissed off that that's how we treat the transfer portal and that's how we treat news during the season. Michael Pratt and Tulane are currently in the hunt for an American spot and a spot in the New Year Six Bowl. We don't need to be talking about whether he might transfer or not. Let's wait till the end of the season. I'd rather just enjoy college football for what it is. Well, good luck. Good thing we don't have to worry about Michael Pratt transferring because, you know, he might be actually in the immobile. I think he is. I think he is. Alex, I think you might have been right, and I hate that you're right. Good job. Good job, Kevin. What do you mean you think I might have been? This is my job. (laughs) I don't give a livelihood. Shut up, Kevin. His entire job. Also, also, JP, I would just like to say that uh, I am definitely the panda. Next question. That's fair. That's fair. I can respect that. Can respect that. AJ, you got thirty seconds. You have the ball. Yeah, uh, the Rams signed Carson Wentz. I don't. I don't know what else I. I really need to say about that. Matthew Stafford might not play for another couple of weeks. Uh, we're seeing jo- Justin Fields has missed three, four games, not being able to grip the football. And it's the same injury as Matthew Stafford. So I am absolutely terrified to see what Carson Wentz looks like in a Rams uniform, to tell you the truth, because he will actually have to play and he will have to throw the ball. We're committed to the tank. Unfortunately, we all know how this is going to look. It's going to be bad. We all know this. this I would also just like to mention real quick that AJ went over his time. I heard the timer. Thanks. Shut up, bitch. (laughs) Shut up, Kevin. Kevin. (laughs) Thank you for that. I have the the timer right here. And we're going to end with Alex here because we did get some big news today concerning things that Alex basically tracks for an entire livelihood. 
Alex, you got the ball. Yeah, I'm about to go James Harden mode with the ISO ball. <laughs> like I'm doing, I'm I'm dribbling between my legs. I'm not moving. I'm just at the three point line. I'm not doing anything, and then I'm throwing up like a thirty Dude, footer, very with, hungry like, caterpillar. We, yeah, with no time left on the shot clock. Um, yeah, you know, earlier this morning, uh, got announced that uh, effective immediately, juniors are eligible to play in All Star games and stuff. Everyone's been freaking out about it. Everyone's like, this is such a huge change. Um, I don't really think it is. I think it's going to end up not being that big of a deal. Um, most juniors that declare, you're either good enough that you don't need to go to these events. Maybe they go and just like do interviews and stuff and don't practice. Um, or you're like bad enough that like you probably shouldn't be getting invited to an all-star game anyway. Um, a lot of people are like, yeah, the small school guys, they're going to get like pushed out here. I'm like, no, they're not. The NFL tells the Shrine Bowl and the Senior Bowl to invite the D2, D3 guys to those games specifically to watch them against top competition. Like you're not pushing out any of those guys. The people that you're pushing out of these games by inviting juniors are like the, the FBS level players that like shouldn't be there in the first place. I think that it's fine. Yeah. And I think we can kind of spin the conversation off this way because I mean, wait. it probably won't affect most of the like top juniors. Wait, wait, JP, quick question, Alex, by FBS players who don't deserve to be there, do you beat Carlton Marshall or do you beat Carlton Marshall? Carlton Marshall, you mean? Marshall. Not Marshall. Marshall. Not only Carlton can you not Mar spell it. Carlton Marshall is a Manchester United <laughs> defender. Sorry, sorry. I, I was just, I, I was on Twitter uh, while, while Alex was calling ISO and I had seen a tweet about Man Rude. United. Uh, because Man United had lost today in the funniest fashion of ever. Of course. Uh, so my, my mind immediately shifted towards Anthony Martial, who plays for Man United. And they're they're spelled either similar or the exact same. The, the last names are spelled the exact same. So like my, my mind just like immediately cooked like, oh, well, that's how you say it for everyone, even though that's not how you say it for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm, gl I'm glad we're getting some real some real footy in here. Yeah. yeah, we got Cam Taylor Britt making a real Brexit tackle on Sunday night against the Bills. <laughs> that was awesome. Just, that was awesome. Just, he slide canceled his way into a tackle. That was like, awesome. The funniest thing about that was just that the Bills sideline just didn't react. Like they're just like, okay, sure. his ankles taken out by the most Brexit ass <laughs> tackle by an NFL quarterback. He didn't even try to go with his shoulders. He just, just slid right into his legs. That is real. That's real footy right there. You know what? Sergio Ramos is yeah. proud. <laughs> anyway, Sergio Kevin, to answer Ramos your question, uh, no comment. <laughs> so the answer is yes, guys, in case you're wondering. But I do wonder if this is – I don't think there's going to be much of a big change, especially considering, no. like, if you're a top junior, why would you go to these events in the first place? You already know what your status is going to be. Like, you don't have to go right. to these. This so is like – the, and, like you said, the fringe junior guys. Right. And I think, like, too, like, I kind of touched on, like, for the top juniors, right, it's really just, like, going to the combine a month before the combine. Like, you're just going to go to these events. You're not going to suit up. You're not going to practice. But you're going to be there, and you're going to do interviews with teams, and you're going to do all the medical checks and everything that they do at these all-star game events and stuff. And you're just going to get all that stuff out of the way so that you have to do less of it during the combine week. Like, We've already had guys like senior prospects that have talked about how like going to an all-star game really helps you like be able to kind of deload a little bit during the combine. Like Luke Schoonmaker, the, the Michigan tight end who plays for the Cowboys now talked about this this season even. Like he was at Shrine Bowl this year and even though he was injured for Shrine Bowl, he didn't practice at all. He was like, yeah, I did all my interviews and stuff at Shrine 
And so when I got to the combine, like I didn't have to worry about doing any of that stuff. And I was healthy enough to participate in the combine. And so like I could just focus on doing all of that. Um, and so I think for a lot of the top juniors, that's what you're going to see, which if that's the case, if they're just showing up to do interviews and like not practice or anything, it's not even taking a roster spot away from anyone. Like it, it's just like they're just adding more people that are coming to the game, like participant wise, quote unquote participant. But it's like it's we've seen the same thing with senior prospects before where like Hendon Hooker was at the senior bowl and just did interviews and like. You know, there are injured players that come to these all-star games and just do interviews all the time, like every year. There's always like four or five of them every year. And so, like, I really don't think it's going to be something where, like, all of a sudden these kids, like, don't have the same level of opportunity. There are going to be some people that naturally get pushed out because, like I said, there's always, like, five or six senior prospects from the FBS level that are kind of, like, fringe draftable guys or have UDFA feedback, but, like, are popular UDFAs maybe. And so like the NFL wants to see them in kind of that like more controlled setting, but like those guys are still going to get invited to the combine. They're going to get invited to like these lower level all-star games, which I honestly think are going to benefit from this because they're going to have better talent flowing to them. Um, and like, you know, like the, really the guys like down the line that get uh, hurt by this are like the guys that are like way, way on the fringes, like guys that are on the fringes of like the hula bowl roster, the tropical bowl roster, which like, all due respect to those guys, like they, they earn that opportunity and everything. But if you're on the fringe of the hula bowl roster, the tropical bowl roster, you have a reject grade from the NFL. That's just what it is. And so like losing those guys, like it sucks because it, you know, it, it means that they don't get another opportunity to, you know, play one more game of football and try to like prove that that's, you know, a wrong grade that, that the NFL has placed on them. But also like, it's not that big of a loss in the grand so scheme of things. So, Alex, my question to you, as someone who sort of follows this a little bit more than I do, and I'm sure, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone else here does, is there a possibility where this announcement of, like, allowing juniors to be in these bowl games gives more juniors who are sort of, like, on the fringe this idea that they can declare? Because if they get invited to the Shrine Bowl or the Senior Bowl, that's an opportunity for them to impress. Like, I, I don't know the answer to that, so I'm asking you because you obviously follow this probably a little bit right. more than I do. Definitely. I, I think that that is a fair question to ask, and I think the answer is really just going to be like, we're going to have to see, right? Um, I think that when you balance that with NIL and the way that NIL has kind of allowed guys that are on those fringes that are kind of like on the fence about declaring to go back and like make, you know, a a lot of money playing college football. Like, I think that it ends up balancing out where like, you will definitely have a few extra guys declare every year, but like with the way that NIL is like, we're also going to have a bunch of guys that like seem like draftable prospects. There's like, Hey man, like you're a junior and you're going to get drafted high and they're going to go back for their senior year. I mean, like we talked about it on, on the first episode that we did, like Shadur Sanders is going to go back and go back for his senior year, even though he's a projected first round pick this season, because like, he has the NIL money to be able to do that. And so I think that eventually it all balances out where it's like you still kind of have the same amount, even if it's not like the same uh, like level of quality that we have now from junior declarations. We're now right. It's like most guys that declare as juniors are like guaranteed first, second round players because you get first, second round feedback from the advisory board. Because if you don't get second round feedback as an underclassman, you get go back to school feedback. 
there are only three grades on the advisory board. It's first round, second round, go back to school. And, um, you know, and so like, it's, it's going to be something that I think ends up balancing out. Um, that's my own personal opinion about it. Obviously, like, you know, I very well could be wrong about this and it, it could result in just like hundreds and hundreds of juniors declaring every year because they have a shrine bowl invite and like they get to go play in an all-star game and like, but I just don't really see it breaking that way. Yeah. I don't right think, now. I don't think it's ever going to be a situation where like we get like this mass exodus of like juniors who are potentially fringe guys, because as you sort of mentioned, like they sort of know their draft stock, at least to some degree of like, they're probably either on a team's board high enough where it's worth it, or, you know, probably not. And a senior bowl is not helping it. My only question is like, I wonder if, and Alex, I think we had talked about this a little bit when this news had released is like, is there going to be another all-star game that is built because of this because junior bowl yeah like i i wonder <laughs> i wonder I, I hate that name by the way uh i wonder if there's like this like weird sort of middle ground of like shrine bowl senior bowl and they think the other one is the hbcu bowl game those are the only three that can take juniors uh right. correct me if i'm wrong but like is there this possibility where the nfl sort of builds another one of like hey guys we're gonna have a fourth here that is a little bit different in terms of like who we invite but it's the same idea of like another all-star game you get coaches out there blah 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 yeah i think so definitely i mean like it's kind of like weird timing that all of this is happening kind of this year when the nfl pa bowl like just closed its doors like six months ago right i saw Um, a couple agents whining about the timing earlier today on twitter well also like it's very short notice for them to do it effective immediately like invites are going out for those games right now that feels weird. Like, like the Shrine Bowl has already invited two dozen players. We saw two acceptances to the Senior Bowl in the last like yeah. three days between. Yeah, Pratt and, and I mean like the Shrine Bowl like, has invited two dozen players. The Senior Bowl has invited three or four that have been made public. Like the invitations are already going out. They already finished scouting for all these games. Like they've done all of their work for them, and now it's like, hey, by the way, that game that's happening in two months, you can take juniors if you want to. If you just want to. It's like, and I hate to say this because it's obviously for like good, like scouting opportunities and stuff, but it does kind of feel like you're trying to get as much money as possible from these events. That's for what sure. it is. Saying that, saying that you want to get it, like saying that's going out immediately in a draft class where like, oh, we got some really good quarterbacks who are also juniors. Right. That's a really good junior talent who now might have the chance to go to, to go to Mobile. Not also imagine. those. Yeah, those guys also just won't play. Like, does the NFL realize that Caleb Williams is not going to go to the senior bowl to start throwing the ball to this, like, undrafted wide receiver from some small group of five school? He he doesn't need to do that. (laughs) So also what I think is funny, and I actually didn't even think about this until just now. um, I'm not sure that this new rule makes Drake May eligible for an all-star game (laughs) because he's a redshirt sophomore. So I he's I not a junior sliding the scale. <laughs> so like, May. so like, what are, what is the NFL defining as a junior here? Because yeah. Is like, it, I is, don't is think it academic junior? Because my yeah, guess like, is it's just draft eligible. Cause technically so. that. that's what makes sense to me, but, but it would why be really would funny if that? he's not eligible to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Also I, like, why wouldn't they just say that? Yeah. Because like the wording was very specifically like junior, because I looked at like what everyone had said between Ian Rappaport I think Tom Pelissero had said something about it. And then Adam Schefter was the last one who sort of went a little bit more into detail. And they were all like juniors, draft eligible juniors. So 
is it like academic juniors of like if he's a junior because isn't that what the senior bowl does it's like if you're a senior, the senior bowl the senior bowl is as long as you have your diploma you are eligible to play yeah so i i would have to see like what the wording was in specific the nfl i think will eventually probably release out like an actual statement i don't know if they have all yet or not but it, the the wording was very weird to be like uh, oh yeah retro softwares you can come too but we just didn't want to say you for whatever reason right so so speaking of a guy who probably will not be at the senior bowl um Caleb Williams was the center of attention for both good and i guess to some people bad reasons in Washington's 52-42 victory over USC Caleb Williams played really good which is as expected, yeah. lost a fumble, but played really well. But USC gave up 4 billion yards on the ground and lost 52 to 42. After the game, Caleb Williams was noticeably upset, like not like mad upset, but just like sad. And he went after the, uh, after he had shaken hands with the other team, went to his mom in the stands and cried. Like it was just, it was like real legit, like crying full crocodile tears. Then after the game, he was asked about his emotions after the loss. And he was basically just like, yeah, man, I just want to go home and curl up with my dog and watch some TV show. AJ, Tyler, of course, all of us, AJ, Tyler, we talked about this when it happened, but it really just feels like this was the emotional tipping point for a kid who has had mm -hmm. the eyes of the football world on him since he was 15 years old. Yeah, pretty much. And I, I'll be honest, I, I thought it was kind of cool in, in a weird roundabout way because you never want somebody to actually be that kind of sad and upset and frustrated. But to see him being comfortable enough to show that kind of vulnerability, even though it they thought it was semi-private considering the circumstances, um, I thought ESPN holding the camera on him that long was really the gross part. And just having conversations with other people, like, it's also going to be how you feel about it. It's going to be a generational disconnect because like our fathers were told you don't cry, you don't show emotion and you just tough it out. Whereas what we as a generation now are understanding is it's okay. It's okay to show emotion. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to cry. I think it's kind of cool in that same roundabout way that he was so passionate and put in so much effort and care to wanting to get the win that when it didn't happen, he kind of exploded like that. And it's a healthy explosion. It's not, he's not attacking people. He's not hurting anybody. He's not throwing things around on the sideline. He just lost it. And we can all relate to that because in some way, shape or form that has happened to us. And he cares that much about his team in football. And we understand and know how much work he puts into it. I th I would want to draft him a little more knowing that he wants to be that guy and put in that type of work. And like, I never want to see anybody cry like that, but considering circumstances, good for him. Yeah. I, I think Tyler really said it best. Um, I think a lot of this criticism is, more stemming from Caleb's already outspoken personality, right? Like, you know, we, we know Caleb Williams is not afraid to express himself uh, however he wants to in whatever manner he wants to. And I, I really think that 
Caleb expressing that kind of emotion is is fine. I mean, we see guys cry when they win the Super Bowl, cry when they lose the Super Bowl. I I don't see any difference to me to me. And he's on he's with his mom, right? Like yeah, that's what what man has not true, cried right? in his mother's arms after something like that has happened. Like if you can't he, cry he who hasn't throw the first stone because Nobody. That's that's like the safest place you could possibly be to yeah. cry. And, and like, and, and effectively, that loss really takes them out of out of anything, right? Like, you could quite, kind of, sort of, if they beat Washington, they could kind of, sort of, play their way back into a into maybe a Pac-12 game, maybe you know, contending for a New Year's Six at large bid. A loss in that one really takes them out, and so now, like, they're not contending for anything really. They're not getting a a chance to play in a marquee matchup. I think, you know, when you see that in your final season and realize that basically everything has just kind of gone up in, in, in smoke, essentially all the smoke left from Dylan Johnson running all over Alex Grinch's defense, all of that, especially when you lay everything out on the line. Like, I don't think it's not like Caleb Williams showed up and just played like trash. Right, like he he was the only reason USC was in that game. He was the only reason it was close for pretty much fifty eight minutes of that of that game. Like it, it was it was a tough tough battle, and he left everything out there, and they came up short once again for the same exact reasons. Like it's probably partly frustration too that he has done everything he possibly can, and they're still so like yeah, I I think it's it's a perfectly valid response. I'm not, I'm not saying he's a emotional crybaby wuss who is, you know, like that's, I think that's a loser take to tell you the truth. Like, I think if you're going around saying that, like, and I know there are a lot of, a lot of Oklahoma fans who are like, it's, it's sweet. It's, it's like a, like a sweet kind of revenge that all his season's over. (laughs) You know, like, I think that's really crappy. To tell you the truth, I think yeah. that's a terrible attitude. I, it, it, to me, it's like he's twenty, like he he's he's so young and he's crying in his AJ, mom's arms. Like who cares? I was told he was twenty-one, about to be twenty-two, but he's also Is a he? third-year junior. Okay, so Still, uh, to me, that's the confusing part. Either way, he turns, he turns either way, either 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 if he's twenty either or way, twenty-one or nineteen, like. like yeah. As it as JP matter. mentioned, this was a guy I went back and looked just real quick. I went back and looked at his twenty four seven ranking history. He was ranked as a five star in twenty nineteen. This is a guy who's been at the pedestal of sport, not only sport but the biggest sport in America for the last what, five years now. At this point, like this is a dude who's never been able to cry. Because he's been at the top of the game, uh, but I, I I do just want to let other people go because I think I have some takes at the end. So before I get to Alex and Kevin with what they want to say about this, I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, our six host Karina, who had a hilarious tweet about this, who said, "If I were playing and I saw that Alex Grinch's defense was giving up 370 yards on the ground every week, I would cry too." So that again, like he gave everything. And if you had 22 Caleb Williams, maybe that game turns out a little differently, but you don't. But Alex, what was what was your thoughts about the whole situation with Caleb Williams? 
Yeah, man. I mean, like AJ and Tyler talked about, right? Like, this is a a 21-year-old kid, about to be 22-year-old kid, but, like, a kid, right? Like, and someone, like, especially with the way that youth sports work in this this country now, right? Like, he's a 22-year-old kid that, like, hasn't gotten to be a kid since he was probably, like, 13 or 14. Because, like... He steps on the field for the first time as like a four, you know, 13, 14, 15 year old, maybe high school freshman. And like, that's the end of his childhood. Like, as soon as he steps on that field, his first game freshman year of high school, like that's it. Your childhood's over. You're a professional athlete now. Like, you know, you can you can talk about amateurism and like high school sports and college sports all you want. But like for a guy at Caleb's level, you're a professional athlete as soon as you step on that field as a high school freshman at like at that point. Right. And so, again, and he's really a guy who's never like lost like this before. And when you're that talented and you're that like at the pinnacle of the sport, like Kevin talked about for so long and you get to a point where like you are doing everything that you can and you know that you put everything out there and you still lost and your season, like you have no meaningful games left on the schedule. Like AJ talked about, like the season is effectively over for them now. Like, yeah, man, that's awful. <laughs> like, uh, you know, just like, uh, yeah, go ahead, AJ. No, I, I was going to go after you. So. Oh, okay. I, I was just going to say like, you know, like, uh, like to kind of like give it a, a personal anecdote, right? Like I ran cross country in high school, right? And my last race in my senior year, uh, the arch of my foot was completely collapsed. Um, and like, I had just gotten it diagnosed like the week before. And I told my parents, my coaches, my team, like my teammates, everyone, I was like, I would, I will die before I miss this race. This is my last race ever. And like it, and like, it might not be because if I perform well enough, then like, you know, I go to regionals, I got to stay, I, I do whatever. Right. And I was like, I will die before I miss this race. Like I'm running in this race. You cannot stop me from doing this. I don't care that my foot is essentially broken. Right. And I went out there and I, and I ran and I, you know, I, I, I put it all out there. Right. And we, we didn't do well enough to make regionals. We didn't do well enough to make state. And like, that was my last cross country race ever. And I remember finishing that race and I stood there for probably like a good, like 20 minutes and just like, could not feel anything. And like, it wasn't until we got back into the car to drive back home. My brother was a freshman that was on the team as well. And I remember just sobbing the entire way home because like I had pushed myself through everything. And I'm sure all of us have similar stories, right? About like, you know, lower level sports where it's just like you put everything into this. It's your whole life and it just doesn't go your way sometimes. And like in those moments, like if you can't go and like cry with your family and just like, you know, like tell them, you know, like I did everything that I could. And I, you know, I really, really tried. And I want, I want you to know that like I tried and like, it just didn't work out. And like, just that comfort of being like, yeah, like we know, like, we know that you try, like we watched the game. We know like, yeah, we saw it. It, You're like, it's all right. There's going to be more. There's going to, you know, there's going to be other, there's going to be other things, but like just in that moment, right. It's like, yeah, just the the combination of all of it is just like I think that it's a very understandable thing that happened, and it's it's unfortunate that it got as much coverage as it did, um, because like Tyler talked about, I mean, like 
I think we're increasingly in a world where like people understand that like that's fine and you can do that and it, it doesn't like make you any less of a man or any less of a person or whatever. Um, and so like, I just thought that the whole thing was just ended up being kind of unfortunate, just the way that it ended up getting covered. It, to your point, Alex, like this is also a culmination, like, you know, his dad had a sports training facility. Basically he was like 16 years old in Maryland. He had yeah. his own like dietitian, his own physician. His dad had a sports training facility. Like he has basically been, been, groomed for lack of a better term since he was like 15 or 16 to be a like an elite quarterback he he goes to oklahoma he has he sits through all that drama of of the 2021 with lincoln riley like quiet quitting halfway through the season leaving to usc on the midnight train he, and then having all the transfer portal drama going to usc uprooting everything he born and raised in maryland going to the other side of the country into usc totally changing everything in his life and having all of these expectations put on him every single step like every single throw of caleb williams has been highly scrutinized every single play has been picked apart combed through you name it for basically his entire career of football and now every sort of everything kind of just bubbled up to the surface in one single moment where you realize that all of this that has happened you won't win a national championship as a college quarterback you won't even win a conference championship yeah Yeah, he won't win a conference championship i mean after all of this everything everything you have sacrificed your childhood for ever since you were 15 and 16 years old boils over in one moment and it gets caught on camera like that and now people are are trying to like trash your character trying to it i mean like like to tyler's point like i think i would draft a guy more comfortably with that you know because because you don't want a guy who who represses and it doesn't deal with it in a manner like that because i mean we've seen uh, numerous cases of the opposite where it boils over and something far worse happens than that like it's a healthy mannerism i think after everything he has like ever sacrificed and with all of those expectations on him yeah he had he had a vulnerable moment with his mom so i don't want to talk anymore about him crying because i think you guys hit the nail on the head about you know, this is a dude who's been at the top of the game and I've seen top high school athletes. I've seen the stuff they go through. I've covered high school football for five years. I've been on the sidelines for some of these top guys. I know what they go through. But I think it's finally time we call out the media for once because I think that so many people have sort of sat by and gone, oh man, don't say that. That Don't say that. If you were sitting here and defaming talking shit, whatever you want to call it, about Caleb Williams because he has decided to cry on the sideline. Excuse my language. uh, Go F yourself. Frankly, kind of go fuck yourself. Like, I I have been a part of the media game for long enough. I have learned that we don't do that, that we don't sit here, we don't throw stones at a glass house. I've sat here long enough. I've covered enough college athletes and enough professional our future professional athletes and enough guys to know that we don't sit here and act like he's soft, act like he's not able to play football 
in the NFL because he cries after a loss. If you're doing that, get off, get, get, get off the microphone, get off the computer, go work an office job, go sell insurance. I don't care what you do after that. But the fact Log that we're off, sitting here off and touch grass, like I don't, I, cause I, I saw some tweets about like guys who go like some, some radio show hosts and stuff. And we go, I wouldn't draft the guy because he cries on the sideline. <laughs> oh, I there 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 are words I would like to say that would probably get us taken off of every streaming platform. So I will not say them. But like when we sit here and we cover athletes, it is not our job to determine their character. It is not our job to determine if the NFL will like something about the fact that they cry. It is not our job to sit here and be like the NFL won't draft him because of this. That's not our job. And the fact that we're sitting here and acting like this is the biggest story of college football season because Caleb Williams is sitting here on the sideline crying. I don't shut up, man. Shut up. Like this is a 21 year old kid or 20, whatever, however old he is. I have been through shit in my life at 20 and 21. So has all of us. There have been moments where I to, uh, you know, to Caleb's point, want to go into my bed, watch a TV show disconnect from the world stop acting like you're not any better because i see all the adults the the adults working office jobs who come back and go oh my god this job sucks i just want to sit home and watch tv you do the same thing you just say it a little bit differently you add a little bit more curse words in there just just because you you don't cry and because you curse out everyone instead you're not any better and the fact that we you try and think you're better just shut up like just just for once, go go f yourself. And I, I'm going to say it because no one else seemingly wants to say it. So my general thought about this, and it's less about Caleb and the actual act of him crying on the sideline, and more just the the overall culture around football. And I wrote about it a little bit for SB Nation. I kind of touched on it, but football is the closest thing to a gladiator sport that we have seen since gladiators actually like were a thing, you know, they put on the helmet, they go out there and break their bodies essentially for the entertainment of people in the stands. And what we have, uh, what we have turned football into is football has become a reflection of society, both in the good way and in the bad way it is a reflection of the teamwork and the camaraderie that you can build as part of a unit that can lead you to success but it also holds the standards that we have put on men especially black men who they have they have to only have two emotions anger and joy you cannot feel anything else outside of that or else you will break the shield you will break the helmet nobody will be a... the idea of people and i get why because you know Football has become such an ingrained part of cultures and societies <laughs> that you're more worried about the name on the front of the jersey and the logo on the damn helmet instead of the person who's wearing the helmet or the person whose name is on the back of the jersey. And I just think that has become such a toxic part of football where, like, we have yeah. detached ourselves so much from people wearing those helmets that you forget yeah. that they are that person you they were you yeah. like so many people first of all someone who i will not name although he blocked me you know who you are 
talking about how this will affect his draft stock. Go to hell, man. It's in his most vulnerable moment. And the first thing you're thinking of is, oh, what about his draft stock? Like, serious. Just, can we can we stop for like five minutes yeah. talking about can we stop? I just, just think about what what is happening right now. You have taken this kid's moment of vulnerability and turned it into a draft hot take because you're like, I don't know whether teams will draft him because he cried on the field. Motherfucker, uh, Tim Tebow got drafted in the first round. He cried after every four games. This is not it's, something that that's it's not out of the normal for people to cry. Like this is yeah. we, yeah. we created such a culture around football that it is unnatural for a person to cry after giving their entire heart, soul, mm-hmm. body, every, literally blood, sweat, and tears to this. And when you give and you keep punching at that wall and it never gives back, yeah, you're gonna break. You're gonna yeah. you're gonna have to go cry on yeah. I, I just want to say real quick, real quick. Uh, do you remember last year when Max Duggan lost the college football playoffs? And he, in the first press conference afterwards, began to cry. Because I remember the narrative on Twitter of, oh, my God, he's so vulnerable. Look at him cry. He loves this game so much. I I remember all that. And this isn't a thing about Max Duggan not loving the game. Because, again, I don't know if Max Duggan truly loves the game or not. It's not my place to comment on that. I'm sure he does. But this is when we see do that and then people like Robert Mathis, and I'll call him out by name because you know what? Frankly, he deserves to be called out by name, goes and proceeds to go on Twitter and go, oh, he's soft. He's soft. He's soft. Like, and I see so many other people go, oh, yeah, now Caleb Williams is soft for it. You got – y'all weren't calling Max Duggan soft. Don't start there calling Caleb very, Williams There's soft. a very real, like very clear double standard. Like, yeah. like guys, guys, yeah. come on. Like, let's be real right now. A year ago, not even a year ago, uh, at less than a year ago, we were sitting here going, Max Duggan loves the game of football. I want him on my NFL football team. And I remember all the the, the think pieces about it. I remember it because I read them all. And now we're sitting here with Caleb Williams going, he's soft. He's a baby. He's a, you know, whatever word you want to call it. Shut up. And like, just, just frankly, go find a new job because no one wants to read your shit anymore. Like for me, for me, the biggest thing here is the Caleb Williams thing, the Tim Tebow thing. The Max Duggan thing, they're all the same. They're all young men who put, like, as we said, put everything they had, and none of them were treated the same, which you can, you can kind of look at, at all facets. You have um, Caleb Williams treated one way because of the color of his skin, Tim Tebow treated one way because he that spouts Christianity all the time and he he acts like a missionary because that's how he was brought up because his parents were missionaries. And Max Duggan, I don't I don't really know why he was treated the way he was, probably just because he was before the Caleb Williams one, the latest guy, and he literally got spanked 65 to 7. But none of these are bad. These are all just fine. Hey, and dude. it drives me nuts that like we are the next generation of media, so we can actually fix these things. But the people in front of us having having these conversations and calling them soft and and unacceptable and talking about draft stock instead of recognizing it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it doesn't matter for for once guys Caleb Williams draft stock doesn't fucking matter yeah and it didn't get affected and at all yeah. I think like to, to to JP's point too and I, I think we can kind of like start to to wrap up here because we're all kind of like we're all very much in agreement about this right but like no, to JP's no. point right is like 
the re like I think you've heard all five of us like emphasize very clearly while we've been talking about this, like of like this is a kid. This is a 21-year-old, about to be 22-year-old kid. This is a kid. This is a kid. This is a kid. And the reason that we're doing that, right, is because of like what JP is talking about, where like football is not about the person under the helmet. It's just about it's about the logo, it's about the jersey, it's about everything else except the people under the helmet. This is just some guy out there. Like Caleb Williams is a person that you can run into on the street if you're in the right place. And so, so is every other football player in America, right? And whatever it is, right, that has caused us to, like, get away from that and forget that at some point, like, I think somehow, some way, like, we just have to start getting that back a little bit. And we have to get back to, like, these are people. These are people that we're watching play a game for our entertainment and these are people like they're laying their bodies on the line every week. I mean, we've seen countless like scary, scary, scary injuries the last like year. And it's like those are always very sobering reminders of like these are people. And like like JP is saying, like this is the closest thing to gladiator sports like that we have in the modern age. Like you could die on the field. There are high school kids that die every year on the field. And so like just like getting so far away from that aspect of it where you just forget that like Caleb Williams is a person and he's just like some guy on the street and like you could have played high school football with him for all you know like you know I mean right like from a general we probably side, were right? playing football with Caleb Williams we probably were right enough. but just like in general right of just like you know like it, it it could be anyone right like this could be anybody and it's just like it's it's so like disheartening right to just see like people forget that side of it and people forget that like this is just like a guy and a I guy just, who's in except for tyler right like generally like in our age cohort even yeah i just so want to say thing, i, I just want to say real quick jp uh, i'm gonna go cover a high school football playoff game on friday i'll be on the sideline when one of those teams inevitably loses and there will be guys who i've covered for four years now and I will see them cry on the sideline. I'm not going to sit here and go, "Wow, man, he's such a crybaby. He's gonna have he has a D1 offer. He's he's his career's not over yet." Because frankly, it it doesn't matter. Like when you put everything into something, and I see it every Sunday when I watch the NFL. You know, some some dude throws a pick and he goes on the sideline. He throws the tablet around. We we don't talk about the fact that he's a little crybaby. He's soft because I I don't. Because like everything that we do in media, and I'm not going to get into like this big media discussion, is like, oh, well, you know, it's all about the team. It's all about the the Bears or it's all about USC. It's not about Caleb Williams. That's why you don't see many features about the the athletes of, you know, who just go around and like do something good for the community. You maybe see one every few months. It's like always big time think pieces about analysis but whatever you know if i keep speaking any longer i think my head will fall off and my brains will explode that'd be good I think, <laughs> just like to, to kevin's we'd point, go viral at kevin's point why is you know throwing stuff on on the sidelines viewed as like emotional like he's either passionate or, or whatnot but crying is is a well, sign of I, I can tell you why it's Andrew because joy, white baby. people do Andrew it. <laughs> no, because... no, because 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 AJ, uh, as I said earlier, you know, whenever every old guy gets home from work, they get mad. 
they go, oh my god. We're only supposed to feel two yes. emotions. That's and that, that's to my point. That's to my yeah. point. It like, is there there is no crying when you get home from work and you hate your job. You go, oh, I hate my fucking job. I'm gonna go back and like go watch TV or whatever, like whatever people do. And like that's fine. But like let's not let's not have the same energy when some dude gets mad on the sideline or cries on the sideline because that's no different. I mean, so last thing before yeah. we wrap up here, um, I do want to commend Caleb Williams for actually like speaking about how he felt and vocalizing how he feels in the moment. I'd much rather want that than being like, oh, we lost. Like, it's just another game. Got to keep moving. Like, no, tell me how you actually feel. That is something that is, yeah. you know, it, it is another, like Tyler said, another generational thing where like kids now like if empathy or like they're able to vocalize how they feel in a much different way than generations before them so commendable for caleb williams now we can talk a little bit about what happened outside of uh washington usc in the week of college football i saw in the notes that we had only one bullet point aj colon ou <laughs> So, AJ, <laughs> yeah, that I heard before the week was anything can happen in Bedlam. Oklahoma wins by a lot. Oklahoma wins by a little. Oklahoma wins by a sizable margin. Except for this time. But, AJ, if you want to go on, on Oklahoma, <laughs> you be my guest because I still have no idea what to make of that game. Yeah, it's, it's a very frustrating thing. What is essentially – Oklahoma beat Texas like outright outright beat Texas had a bye week crazy hype video you know they're like top five top six rankings in the country everybody's like oh holy crap they went from six and seven you know they lost 49 to zero to Texas last year and then turn around and beat them this year and then they hit the bye week they have a weird clunker game against UCF they go on the road to Kansas Team's got the flu, the weather's crappy, and they drop that one. And everybody kind of goes, Whoa, hang on a sec. What what's what what the hell's going on at OU? And then they go to the second game against Oklahoma State, a team that is okay. This was Oklahoma State has vastly outperformed preseason expectations. I I think pretty much across the board. I don't think anybody in their right mind would have had Oklahoma State this successful. Because quite, quite frankly, if you looked at that roster, I mean, heck, if you look at that roster now, you'd go, this team is 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 one guy and then a bunch of, it's it's all a Gordon and then company, it, just in general. And Oklahoma found a way to lose the game, both of against Kansas and Oklahoma State. It, it's a really tricky situation for Oklahoma right now because you have all of these positive signs defensively, like, in Oklahoma State's first four drives, they score touch. They score two touchdowns and a field goal, uh, and one of those touchdowns was set up by an offensive turnover, uh, like a direct snap to the running back got fumbled around. It's crazy stuff, and then they respond. The defense responds by forcing two punts, three turnovers on downs, a pick, and then the offense doesn't click the offense has lost Oklahoma in the last few games which is which is pretty rare since like 2016 2015 even Oklahoma's offense has been pretty has been winning them games uh 
except according to Lincoln Riley, their defense was a strength of the team his last few years there, which is okay, buddy. But like, and now, but where it gets tricky for Oklahoma is you have all of these positive signs, but now you have a question mark about your offense. It, it, the 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 where it's hard now is the offense by most metrics, pretty much any offensive metric you want to take a look at. Oklahoma's top five, top ten, top fifteen off like like their worst statistical category is like top fifteen, top twenty five, which is great. By any stretch of the imagination, if you are six and seven and your next year it, it, you have a top you know, top quarter of the country offense in your worst categories, you know, that's a pretty successful turnaround, all things considered. But the offense has lost them. Their offense has is what kept them out of being undefeated and playing for the playoff game. And it's like six to eight situational calls a game that have really doomed them. And so now if you're, if you're Oklahoma, you know, you could still go 10 and two, you could still, you know, in theory, they could still play for a big 12 championship, right? If they went out Oklahoma state, Texas, Kansas state, the big 12 is always crazy in November. There's a path for Oklahoma to keep playing for the postseason and, and five for new year six contention. How, how tight is the leash? For an offensive coordinator who, by every metric, is getting you these elite results, but has lost you your last two games, and that's where I think the question marks of of Jeff Levy kind of it gets a little gray area because how good can this offense really be with an offensive coordinator that is just like clicking constantly over and over and over again? But if you fire Jeff Levy and you kind of lose out those you know, like what is what is the drop off like do you pick up or like are you better in those situational calls but you'd lose efficiency do you you know it's it, so it's it's a really gray question mark facing Oklahoma right now but the bottom line is they went 6 and 7 last year quite frankly with a roster that was was bare bones after all of Lincoln Riley's recruiting if you want to call it that that roster w- was was bad. It, it really was, and now they can go ten and two to to finish the follow up season. Like that's a that's a great turnaround for for any coach. Quite frankly, it's it, now it's it's just frustrating because of the manner that they have lost. Is now they're facing questions that they haven't really dealt with in a decade since Bob Stoops fired Josh Heupel after twenty fourteen because you know, the offense was terrible that year. They haven't faced these question marks about the offense in a decade. Brent Venables' press conference this week was very defensive in a way. He was extraordinarily like 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 urging nuance to the situation, but definitely frustrated by all of the question marks. Where Oklahoma kind of goes, I'm not sure with this. Uh, we'll see if, if it's a continuing pattern, Quite because quite frankly, they shouldn't lose. You could kind of make a case for UCF being okay. Yeah, they challenge UCF is challenging. They're a good, they're great offense, and they've got a couple talented guys on defense like Lee Hunter. And then obviously, Kansas and Oklahoma State have Kansas has been phenomenal team. The Oklahoma State has vastly outperformed expectations. 
West Virginia, BYU, and TCU as their remaining schedule. Quite frankly, if, if they lose any of those games, they should be facing these these kinds of questions because those are games you shouldn't lose. So for now, for Oklahoma, it's like I think everybody's just wanting questions or wanting answers to questions they haven't had. You know, Lincoln Riley took over as the offense coordinator in 2015, and since then the offense has been elite. And now it's and now it's losing you games, and I I think fans are kind of frustrated with that, especially because it's such a turnaround. Because now, like the defense is getting you stops, the defense is getting you stops, and Oklahoma's offense for the first time ever has failed to like uh, capitalize on that. And I think that's where a lot of this negative frustration comes around. Like my my last my last point, I'm I'm, I'm going to say, and then I'll stop. It's like. The Jeff Levy situation has always kind of been weird because of all the Art Bryles and things, and, you know, all the, 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 the disgusting situation that happened at Baylor. He's directly on the lawsuit. I personally, just for that reason, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be okay with him being on my team. I don't know. That it, was AJ's. Carmelo Anthony 62 point game at the Garden ISO. That was amazing. I don't really? I don't know AJ. I heard, heard JP JP. I would call that Corey Brewers uh Corey Brewers 52. Hang on. Be respectful. Game. Kevin <laughs> Shaw. No, if you ever do that, that's Corey Brewers 52 point. No, yeah. Look look frankly frankly Corey Brewers 50 whatever point performance or 61 whatever is like my favorite 61 point performance. Sure, but it, you're you're dimin- by calling him Corey Brewers you're diminishing was, the rest it, of it AJ. Was the most AJ shut up Kevin. talented than Corey Brewers. Shut up Kevin. <laughs> it was the most efficient 60 point game ever. So <laughs> <laughs> for those who are not on seeing us on video Kevin has disappeared into the nether once again. Now we can actually talk, which is hilarious. But the last thing I want to say about Oklahoma before we switch is it could be worse. You could be a Florida fan. Sorry, Ty. Uh, <laughs> you know what? That's fair. Um, man, this team just cannot get out of their own way. It's yeah, it's always – the whole season it's been self-inflicted issues. It's been discipline. Like the Utah game, they scored multiple points on drives that continued because of Florida penalties. Uh, the the game against Georgia, the fourth down call, I have no problem with going for it on fourth down. You kind of have to go for it on fourth and one. The, the fucking pass to, with Trevor Etienne, what are we doing? And the lack of tackling – all season like it was a Todd Grantham problem and Austin Armstrong has been able to fix it and then college kickers crushed Florida in in, at the end of that uh damn Arkansas game and it wasn't like they they were any good they couldn't tackle KJ Jefferson or Rocket Sanders worth a damn but I am really excited for them to actually get really talented trench players in this next class they got two five-star defensive linemen and a four-star they got Lagway, who hopefully can figure out how to throw a football consistently. And mm. Trey Wilson looks like a potential stud at wide receiver. He's he's good, good. And I'm I'm really excited for the future, but at least they're entertaining right now. Cause like there's a I've seen bad Florida teams. This isn't a bad Florida team. This is a team that doesn't know how to win. And I like in some ways that's worse, but they haven't actually played a 
genuine bad game of football. And I'm okay with that. Hey, listen, uh, JP and I's teams are undefeated. Yes, sir. <laughs> I, yes, Alex, sir. I, Alex, I congratulate you. Hey, hey, I also, will have you know, know I will have you know, Miami no, no, no. is also undefeated when they kneel the football. Uh, so <laughs> that's not even true. Is it, is it zero and zero? <laughs> yes, because I don't think they kneel the football. I don't think Mario Cristobal hey. knows it's an option. You know what? My favorite part of this podcast is going to be JP after Miami gets smoked like fifty-two to seven, and then Florida loses to Florida State like thirty-five to twenty-seven. I will be able to come on here and transitive property of Florida is way better than Miami. Oh, look, frankly, frankly, I will not be on the podcast anymore if Miami well, loses fifty-two to seven. Suck. Thank so. God. Y'all <laughs> both suck. You know, you know, Alex. Alex. Is, <laughs> my one quick thing about Florida, then we can move on, is. They have 75 damn coaches, and none of them know how to line up 11 people on a field. That's a problem. Uh, yeah, they've got 15 game changer coaches, and none of them can change coaches. That's the funniest that part is, is, is now Florida fans want them to get another coach to be an offensive coordinator. They no, still can't. Um, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm fine with Napier in general, like what the offense looks like. I think the offense has actually been pretty good i think it's been really good compared to expectations expectations like were bad and i think it's been relatively good and like graham Mertz is fine but yeah <laughs> it's like florida has a bunch of the aliens from toy story as coaches and they're all just going, oh, <laughs> oh. As you have florida, saved our lives we are eternally grateful same jersey number onto the field I just, I, I just find it funny that they're those coaches are called what game changer coaches or whatever. They do change game changer game. coordinators. No, no, none of them have changed a game for the better. So, hey, it, it didn't say which way they were changing the game. Yeah, it, it doesn't say positive. Yeah, yeah, no. it's like they got forty five of them, and none of them can actually do anything. Do you game think... changer derogatory. <laughs> game changer. <laughs> I. Chaotic evil game changer. I, I just find it funny that they had like six game changer special teams coaches, and then like after the Utah game, we were all wondering why they had six of them because none of them knew what special teams were. <sighs> none of them still do. <laughs> They're like, I was shit, we got a punt. Oh god, I don't know what that means. I was gonna pull my hair out that entire game. Oh god. But anyway, we're gonna move on to another topic when it comes to media and the coverage of football but this time we're going to go over to the nfl in real in in yeah. frankfurt germany when the miami dolphins eventually would lose to the kansas city chiefs oh, before the you. before the uh, in the lead up to the game mike mcdaniel was in germany he was taking questions at a presser and one of the questions really stood out because of how in-depth it was and it kind of just turned into a large like referendum on Oh, why can't reporters in America ask these kinds of questions? But, you know, uh, there's a lot more to coverage of. And Kevin's just kind of yelling in the in the screen without actually saying anything. I think he's on mute. Uh, I'm not going to go to Kevin, though, because wow. Kevin has already talked too much. I, I am uh, calmed down. No, you haven't, very clearly. AJ, I kind of want to get your thoughts on just the whole – just the whole, this whole situation with like the coverage of like I guess the U.S. role in covering a football team because I feel like it's a lot more nuanced than people like to think. Yeah, it's it definitely is, and it kind of is just how you build your brand, right? Like to me, I don't think the job of a 
beat <laughs> I don't think the job of a of a beat writer necessarily is to say like hey why wasn't the the Mike linebacker carrying the hook on, on a crossing route in your fire zone that got you beat on like a a first down at the end of like the final drive of the game I don't think that's the point of the beat writer necessarily I think if you're an analyst you know if you work for SB Nation if you work for whatever site you want to you want to come up with and you comment on that i think that's your job but the job of a beat writer to me isn't necessarily to go and ask those kind of in-depth questions the job of the beat writer is to report on the team and to get the stories of the team whether that's the personal side of people involved in the organization whether that's reporting news breaking news uh, discussing sourced info things like that that to me is just kind of the the, the difference maker and, and i it's it's what separates somebody for example like i think john shipley with the jaguars does a phenomenal job as a beat writer and i think he, you know, he was kind of taking up the bat for beat writers and saying like that's not our place necessarily versus Somebody who I, I think is tremendous and Matty F. Brown, who covers Seattle, I think is a tremendous analyst. And he and he and Pete Carroll are like buddy buddy when he shows up to these press conferences. Pete Carroll is like, Hey Matty, you know, look at you, you're awesome. Like it, it's it's two separate sides of the same coin to me. And it's really just I think the problem with, with both sides is that the analysts sit there and go like oh well i'm not all of them but some of them are like oh I, i'm smart look at me i I'm, I'm calling out i'm asking these hard questions and, and the beat writer is just like you're an idiot man like i don't care i i really do not care <laughs> about this so we're gonna go to kevin unfortunately who also has the most experience out of all of us as a beat writer and i was gen genuinely curious about your thoughts before you started yelling at me to go so we're going to let you go, and then we will let you go. No, let, let's keep it going. Keep it going. You are so I stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you just ruined all the momentum. Because... Yo, dumbass, didn't even check if you were on mute or not. <laughs> I, want, I genuinely wanted to see how long you could go. Okay. Just off rip. Just go I, full. On, I want you to give your all of your thoughts just on mute. Am I unmuted now? Yeah, yes. you are. Okay, good. So I have covered college football for for three or four years. Uh, and I was a beat writer for the last like four of those years. And so to me, it's like, I sort of agree with AJ. It's like, it's not my place to analyze why the middle linebacker is not covering this guy or carrying this guy or like why the tight end is doing this blocking technique. It's like, it's not my job. Like my job is to tell the future stories. And my job is to tell you what the coaches had to say about this certain moment or why this guy isn't getting a lot of playing time. And like, I always sort of go back to like, <clears throat> if I'm a beat writer, I'm writing for the 55 year old who doesn't care about condensed sets. 
right? Like I'm not writing for the the nerd who like cares about why FAU is running condensed sets or like why the Dolphins are running condensed sets. If I'm a beat writer, I am writing for the the guys who watch football every Sunday because that's what they like to do, not like because it's like their entire life. So like I do dabble in film stuff and like I did it with I did it with Tyler at Vikings Wire and I did it at Owls 24-7. Like I've done film stuff, but that's not my job as a beat writer. Like that's not like I can go in there and ask a question about how they plan to do this with a tight end or what their plan is like in terms of wide receiver releases, but most people won't care. They'll just go, okay, that's cool. And then like continue on with their day. So like if I'm a journalist, my job is to write for what people want, not what I think they want. And so most people who cover or who read college football content uh, in terms of like local beat stuff is the 55 year old older people who don't care about that. And they just want to know why X isn't playing or why Y is injured. We're on a roll. <laughs> so See, serious. okay. So I I want to kind of counter it because I, I understand the 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 aspects of being a beat writer and you're catering to people that uh, don't necessarily care about the those big things and like they don't care about like scheme and stuff. But my thing is the things that they do care about the the stories the the why behind, hey, why did Brandon Powell score that final touchdown against uh, the Falcons? Well, they designed the play for him, and there's a reason why they designed the play for him. I think you can marry scheme questions with with the stuff that a normal beat writer does. And to me, that's, that, that's I think, the disconnect. I'm not asking everybody to be Ted Wynn from The Athletic and just scheme, 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 and that's all he does. I'm not asking that, but I think that beat writers should be asking at least a little bit more on when it comes to that kind of stuff, because that answers so many of those questions that they're trying to get answers for so they can communicate to those 55 year old people who don't care about it, because in essence, they still care about it, because I'll tell you, I have a lot of older listeners for my show, and when I do basic breakdowns of like, Hey, this is why dagger works. They love that kind of stuff. I'm not talking down to them. I'm explaining, Hey, they love running this concept. And when you see that in route, that's what they're doing. And that's why it makes sense. And they love that stuff. And and I think we're not giving enough credit to those people who that maybe they don't want it, but you don't necessarily know they don't want it. So so Tyler, I just want to say like real quick and then I'll go Uh, real quick. It's like when we talk about, beat writers and analysts it's like there are people who are both right there are people who are very much respectfully both but like the the questions that i have to ask as a beat writer don't often revolve around like playing cover two it revolves around hey why did player x not get enough snaps uh like why did player y not get enough snaps that's what most people ask about in my in in our rivals message boards or when i get messages on dms like that's what that's what most people ask about are you done? We had a we had a whole whole organization. We we had it organized, and you just parachute in with your tape. Thanks, man. It was twenty seconds. Calm down. No, no. we had an order. 
and you just completely fucking it up. Shut up, Kevin. <laughs> so go to the order. All right, AJ. Now, now you can go. Then Alex, and I'll say my quick spiel. And I think it kind of goes back to the earlier point of like, what's your brand, right? It it, it goes back to the the kind of the content you want to create, and I do. I think teams kind of balance it out. Like they have the segment of the coaches breaking down the film, and it's like a three minute little. Oh, the coach draws up the play, and it, and it's explained in a, a kind of a condensed way. I, I just think the biggest problem that I've seen with this argument is the the analyst side almost talking down with, when even like the coaches themselves when they break the plays down don't do that. They explain it concisely. They explain it like this. They're not sitting here saying, "Oh, hey, they're playing the the cover six, and this guy's supposed to do this, and this guy's this guy's vertically matching." Blah blah blah. blah. They say. Yeah, like this is his responsibility. He's going to take this guy. It, it, that that to me is, I think, what's kind of this argument. If a lot of the analysts, especially because it's so saturated right now, I feel like a lot of them have to kind of like prove that they're the smartest person in the room with with a lot of takes and using these nuanced football terms. But I think the best ones can explain it clearly because they are appealing to the side doesn't necessarily really care about that they can tell a story with a play versus you know giving out the the 15 word long play specifically from the playbook yeah it sounds cool if you can name that off it it, it, is that going to get you more views to me no somebody's going to go hey i understood what this guy was saying this is a really cool article i'm going to share it not oh this guy knows you know like it 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 just kind of is a weird talking point with a lot of analysts right now. And I think this whole argument was strange from the get go. See, and let me ask this of you, AJ, because I understand where you're coming from. My like, when I think of questions that I want to ask at press conferences, cause I don't have access yet. I'm working on getting access, but like, I want to ask, um, like the Vikings like to get trips on, on the, on the near side. And then they like to run a little five yard short motion. And they've been doing it constantly for like the last four weeks. And uh, I want to ask that question. Like what kind of advantage do you feel that gives you like, like simple stuff. I don't want to ask like, like the, the guy in, uh, in the McDaniel press conferences went way too in depth. I don't want to be that guy. I don't think you need to be that guy, but I think you can ask more in-depth questions without having to sound like the smartest person in the room. And you can be, ask leading intriguing questions that can get really cool answers for the readers without being that guy. And I think that's where you can marry the two. And I think that's my main argument. Sorry, Katzen. Oh, you're good. Um, what, what I wanted to say um, about this, a, a lot of it, like, first of all, <clears throat> I do want to give credit to, to the, the guy that asked Mike McDaniel the question. His name is Simon Clancy. He's a, he's a British writer. Um, because I do think like him and like Matty Brown, who AJ mentioned, like it is cool that we have guys like that from, you know, from overseas that are that invested in the game and that like that, like deep into uh, their knowledge of the game that they're able to ask questions like that. Um, and I think that like that part of it is cool. And like the fact that we're able to like 
the fact that football is able to like have that sort of reach where like people with no background in it get that invested into it, I think is awesome. Um, I will say also, like, I think uh, for Tyler and I specifically, right, like we have kind of more non-traditional backgrounds in terms of getting into journalism. And so I think our perspective is a little bit different on this than, you know, Kevin's might be because Kevin has been a beat reporter before and he's, he's been one for four years. Um, but like, uh, you know, Tyler and I like started just like as dudes on the internet, right? And so I do think that there is like a middle ground, right? That you can strike, like like you guys have all mentioned about like being able to like tell those stories um, while while kind of like asking like simpler questions, like Tyler is talking about. Um, I do think that like it, you get into a discussion, and like Tyler was mentioning, right? Is like what is the onus for us like what is stopping us from saying like beat reporters can do that to some level not to like necessarily the level that like simon clancy is asking this question to mike mcdaniel right but like what is stopping us from saying like we can step this up a level and try to teach and try to educate an audience um so that like they're more informed about the game because i think that you're seeing a lot more of that right like with with the saturation of the market there are a lot of people that are talking and a lot of them like differentiate themselves in ways that are, you know, a little bit less savory than others sometimes, but there are also a bunch of people on the internet that do fabulous work. And like those people 10, 20, 30 years ago would never have had a voice in this space. And so the average fan, I think is a lot more informed than they were before. And I think that beat writing kind of as a whole is slow is, slowly evolving to get like catch up with that but is not quite there and i think that that process and i think the disconnect between that process and reality is like where people are coming from of like why can't beat reporters do this and it's like well it's more complicated than that um and also just like the people that are talking about it on twitter right they're all freaks like us that are like so deep in the weeds on this sort of thing where it's like yeah i would love if a beat reporter asked a coach about like the nerdiest scheme stuff on the planet for the entire press conference every week. And that was all anyone ever talked about because like we're all sitting on Twitter, 12 hours a day posting about football. That's like the only thing that we would want, right? Like that's, that's all that we would want. But like, there are millions of people that watch the game that like, if you get that deep into the weeds about something and you get that in depth about something, the way that, that Simon did, like, there are people that are not going to tune into that, right? And so I think that there is a middle ground that everyone kind of needs to collectively come to, right? Where we can say, like, we can still educate and teach an audience and kind of, like, build up towards this understanding. And they're, like, I think what's missing in the beat reporting analysis sort of, like, spectrum, right, is, like, there's no real like established middle ground of analysts where it's like you go to these set like this set of people and they teach you the simple stuff and kind of like are on the beat and asking those kind of simpler questions and getting answers directly from from coaches and from staff right where you can kind of then like go to those articles as a resource and learn kind of like a base level sort of stuff like that and then take that and if you're interested by that and you want to learn further then you can step up to like you know the freaks that are that are posting 12 hours a day about like you know 
uh, like Dan Casey and like uh, Coach Vass and like, you know, people that we all love, right? People that like get super, super into the scheme stuff. But like that stuff isn't the main analysis that you see even on Twitter or on TV or anything like that for a reason, right? Like that, because not everyone is there and there's no real like middle ground to be like, hey, like let's help get people there or at least like part of the way there and just like inform people a little bit more. Um, there's either just like lowest common denominator stuff, which has its place. And I'm not trying to rip on any of that stuff. I do a lot of that stuff for Chargers Wire. Like I, I'm not a beat reporter per se, because I don't follow the team around. I don't go to press conferences and everything because I live out of state. Um, but I do do a lot of those kind of like news update articles and like, you know, kind of just like, uh, you know, like stuff that a beat reporter would typically write. Um, Right. And so it's like, it's no knock on that. That stuff has its place, but it's also like, I think that there is space in the industry, which is so funny to say, because we're talking about how it's so saturated, right. But there's space in the industry for like kind of that in between where it's like, let's talk about some basic scheme stuff and try to like educate like a larger audience because we already have this base audience that we can speak to. So one of the things I was I generally thought about when this all started happening, and I think Alex said it in our uh, group chat that we were talking in, the first thing that was said was, this is why we need to pay more journalists. We need more people That's in newsrooms because, and this is something I learned from like going to Northwestern and actually like figuring out what the heck I want to do in this like realm. And it's, there are defined roles for everything. You know, like a beat writer does beat writer things. They follow the team. They are constantly talking to players, coaches, people on staff. They write the beat writer stories. That is a very crucial part of the entire sports journalism, sports media ecosystem. If you don't have beat writers, you don't get content. You don't get Bleacher Report. You don't you don't get aggregators and like people like copying beats beat writers tweets and then posting them and getting 3 million views. They are the most important people to this ecosystem of sports media. Then you have like the feature writers do more long form stuff who are able to write the longer stories that go more in depth, you know? And then you have the analysts, you know, you have the commentary, you have the, you have the columnists. They all do different things, but they're under the same umbrella. And that's where I kind of think with this entire situation, we have kind of, meld it together everything into oh just one journalist that's really cool that's a very optimistic way of thinking about sports journalism everybody like one person does all of those things in one there are very few people who actually do that and actually have a normal life and are well-adjusted human beings there's just not a lot of time there aren't a lot of questions that you can ask as a beat writer to a head coach in a in a provided press conference period you only get a certain amount of questions. You only get a certain amount of time. So I think it's just people don't really understand the full like responsibility and role of a beat writer. And I generally agree with what all of you guys said. It's, you know, beat writers are writing for like they're they're taking more of a macro look at the team. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're looking at, oh, let's get a quote from this player on what happened. It might not be the most in-depth, but they're getting the quotes from the team. They're able to be at the games. That is a crucial part of this. 
the analysts, the commentators, they go into the weeds. They might not have the access to the players, but with the with like what you said, with the rise of this growing part of football, especially in sports media, especially in basketball as well. You have so many people breaking down the game in basketball, yeah. just like they do in football. You have people who have access to like playbooks or watch coaching clinics and you figure out what this is supposed to look like. And that's how you can get into the weeds without actually having to be at the press conferences. So that's where I kind of think people sort of like, hey, if this guy can do this, then why can't you do why can't you do the same thing? But there's only so amount, so much amount of time in a day. There's only so many things right. you can write when you have to do a practice report. You have to get quotes from players and coaches and things that generally have to be done in a day, and you have to write it all within that day. Like one of the things that we had to do at Northwestern, we we're like basically beat writing was after a game ended, we had to write that story in 10 minutes. Like that yep. we had to get we had to get the quotes and get it done. Like it is not some kind of like you can take some lack of lackadaisical, like oh, I'm going to really sit down and digest these quotes. No, you have to get it out and get it up because people want to go look at these quotes and stuff after the game. That is what people are looking for, the instant reactions. You can save that. You can save the analyzing what happened on film and like the deeper quotes throughout the week. But this is why you need to pay more. This is why more people need to be in newsrooms because there are so many different roles in this evolving. Journalism is... It's so it's such a weird thing to say, considering like the entire fiasco a few months ago with like, oh, journalism is dying because Stuart Mandel said that like kids are being taught how to do journalism. It, it, it's journalism is evolving. It's not growing yeah. in the same ways that we thought that people thought that they that it did like in the past. It's evolving in what they can do and the different various roles of journalism. We all do journalism. We approach it in different ways. Just because I'm more of a commentary guy doesn't mean that like Kevin, who's a beat writer, doesn't mean we both don't do the same same thing. Like we are both journalists. Right. We just approach it differently. And that's where I think we really need to grow more as journalism grows and understanding what is really being asked, what we are being asked to do. Like, we're going to, uh, Ted Nguyen, Tyler brought up Ted Nguyen. There are three beat writers for the Raiders at The Athletic. Like, it's yep. not overkill because they need it. You know, you have people who do the feature stories, you have people who do the columns, and then you have Ted who does more of the film analysis. Like, those are all needed. Like, that's something that most, most journalism sites, most newsrooms wish they had. The journalism industry in itself, like not the industry, but the media companies who want top tier journalism for bottom tier price don't understand that. You know, you want to you want to overwork these journalists and give them so many different things to put on their plate while also not giving them enough time to actually digest what's happening, and what's being put on the plate. So then you're just crapping out work. I don't know how I turned all that into one constant analogy there, but I'm just like, I don't know. So it's just, we have to understand that there are different roles for everything. Sure, like writers love to write about. I mean, I, if I, I love writing about scheme, but sometimes I'd love to do just like a profile. 
like I did earlier this year. Like I'd love to just talk to players about something, but I don't, but I can't most times. Like that's not something that I do often. So it just comes down to defining the roles. And now that we have defined the roles, we see where we need to improve. We need to bring more people in, we need to bring more analysts and commentary into this because no one, no one person can cover a beat by themselves. Like you, the days of that being a thing are gone. Like you can't cover a beat by yourself. There's too much demand. There's too much demand. There's too much, there's too much going on. There's too much that's happening within a team throughout the week. Like you get practice squad signings. There's practices going on. There's injury reports. There's other general NFL news. Like if you think about the big NFL companies like ESPN or NFL Network, they have people who do the like the nitty gritty of the beat writer stuff. And then you have the people who are on like the, the macro of like what's going on in the NFL, like general, like scheme wise and just theme wise. Then you have the feature writers, you know, like this isn't something that should be a foreign concept to most companies, but with the way that major media companies have cut and slash and taken away from newsrooms, now you're overworking everybody. And now fans are like, hey, if this guy can ask this thing, why can't you ask this thing? Well, there's not a lot of bandwidth. So it's just, it's frustrating. But AJ, go ahead. No, my point was more going to be like, talking going more on your point about like this being the backbone of of the entire sports industry now and kind of relating it a little bit to the scheme stuff is it's like a lot of companies have started shifting the like their models to kind of covering seo and what is being google searched the most often right and unfortunately the scheme stuff like the really cool articles don't really get those the same amount of, of views and clicks and however mm-hmm. you want to call it. And so now, like, that's another part of this evolution is it is what about can get the most traffic through using SEO, and it is going to be your what did Jerry Jones say about Dak Prescott against the Eagles? What did so, you know, what happened to so-and-so? How did so-and-so get injured? Who is so, like, it, these kind of articles, uh, articles or what generates the most traffic and so most companies now are starting to pursue them over instead of i want a breakdown of of how fire zone works or just something like that like i think this is more to your point jp of like the industry is evolving into its own way and and there are so many people it's so many different levels of this kind of journalism content now because you know it, it, it's a weird standard of well, this guy does that. Why can't you? What other industries do we really apply that to? Is is kind of my question of like, oh well, you know, Brad can can do this. Why can't you do that? And it's imagine like, going to your dentist and being like, my doctor can like do my surgeon can do like open heart surgery. Why can't you do that? Like, no, I'm a dentist. Yeah. Like that's that's not what I do. We might be in the same profession. But there are different skill sets. Yeah, absolutely. 
I like how you JP named like five or six different jobs at ESPN. And I'm like, Hey, I do all of those every week. Yeah, man. It's, it's rough down here at the, uh, at the lower levels. I say lower levels, but it's rough down here at the lower levels where again, you're not given a lot of money or a lot of time or a lot of access in like your case yeah. where you're constantly on that make a dollar out of 15 cent and you just don't have that you don't have that ability like you have to wear all those hats and again i guess the general gist of it is media companies need to invest more in journalists and journalism because the industry is not dying or I'll say, I'll say this. The industry might be dying, but it's not because of journalists themselves. It's because media companies are killing it. Because mm-hmm. people still want to read journalism. People still want to read that stuff. It's just the media companies who are trying to cut at every chance possible and not really realizing what they have. I will say this before we move on because AJ made a really good point about views and views is what drives the industry. Now it's not about buying a paper. It's about being able to get clicks and drive traffic to your article. I will say my best stuff is not the, the in-depth film pieces, but if you want to do an in-depth film piece, if you SEO it, right, you can drive a lot of traffic. Like the, the 11 quarterbacks, the Vikings could target with Kirk cousins out did a site record 2.2 million views over three days, which is absolutely incredible. But like I I did last year, I did, I highlighted 13 throws from Kirk Cousins game against the bills last year. I did like 250, 300,000. Like if you frame it the right way, you can do it and be able to hit both. The problem is it, you don't get a lot of effort across the industry to try and attack that. And I understand why, and AJ laid it out perfectly, but you can marry the two. And I just think overall, we need to do a little bit a better job of that. Yeah. And we're going to wrap up here, but the main gist is pay your journalists, pay the people. If you want good work, you want various diverse, good work, pay people. It's we say it in football all the time, like pay good players, pay good journalists, pay the people that you want to be in your uh be in your room. So that'll that'll do it from us at sorry no podcast today. We also have a social media page. You'll follow at sorry no pod today. That is at sorry no pod today. You'll be posting episodes there. You'll probably see us multiple times over the course of However long we continue to do this, it'll be here forever and ever and ever. When most other podcasts are dying, we will still be here shooting the shit always. We are but, eternal. Yeah, we we are forever. We are legion and we are eternal. So on that note, thank you guys for listening and we will see you all next week. <laughs>